Hello and welcome to Media's second podcast series titled Beyond Consumption, a new era for entertainment. This is episode three and today we're talking about the fandom factor. My name is Carol Severin and with me in our virtual studio today are my colleagues Tristy Das and Mark Mulligan. Hi both. Hi there. Hello. Great to have you here, and this is this is going to be a really exciting uh, discussion, particularly because as we dive deeper and deeper into our work around fandom and media, uh, we keep taking a couple of steps back as well. And one of those were questions around what actually is fandom, and I feel that's probably a good good uh, good point to kick, kick kick today's conversation off. Mark, Srishti, any, any thoughts on what fandom actually is? Because I believe we realize that it's actually not so easy to define itself. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if there's, a, um, there's, there's even a podcast here somewhere. It's like fandom, you've been doing it wrong. Um, because I think a lot of people have a sort of a, a sense of what fandom is without when actually what they've really got a sense of is... Um, what the symptoms are of fandom rather than necessarily what the causes are of fandom. And I think the it's actually a much more um, ephemeral thing than you might imagine. You know, when you're talking about consumption and, and you know, transactions, they're really simple things to measure, you know, really clear delineations of what is and what is not. And fandom is much more, uh, you know, amorphous than that. So... One of the things we, we've had a go at doing, um, you know, and, and Carol and Sarita, you know, we, we've had this discussion uh, elsewhere as well, is about how to, if you know, what are the things that you can maybe go through almost like a, a checklist and say, if at least one of these things is present, then maybe that's what, you know, constitutes fandom, you know, and this is a work in progress and there is no right answer to this, um, uh, but, you know, this is our, our stab at trying to get somewhere. So one is... Is it about expression and identity? You know, is it about defining or reflecting who the person is or who that person wants people to think they are? Is there, is there a communal experience, being part of a community with shared tastes and outlooks and values? Is there emotional resonance? You know, does it influence how the fan feels and thinks and views the world? And then the personal bond, does, you know, do the, does the fan feel connected to the show, the game, the, the, the artist, whatever it is that they, they're a fan of? Occasionally, you might get all of those, but quite often it'll be, you know, sort of a smaller combination of those. So I think that's a sort of like a, a functional checklist, but I think it goes... You know, the reason why it's so difficult to go and sort of define it is because fandom is not just about what you do or what you buy or what you say. It's about how you feel. And it's also about how the fandom makes you feel and projects about how you feel as well. It's very much about identity and emotion as much as anything else. That's a really, really interesting point, and particularly... The last one that you've made, Mark, essentially the big difference is that fandom, unlike a lot of the other things that we are sort of measuring in entertainment and looking at today, like engagement and money spend, fandom is essentially an attitude rather than a behavior, right? It's it's not a it's not a bin- binary yes or no. It's a it's kind of a spectrum, isn't it? And it's also kind of multidimensional in that in that sense. To your point, you know, there can be many different types of fandom, and there's it's not just how much of a fan you are. It's not even just uh, 
you know, what type of a fan you are, but also, for example, how long have you been a fan, right? So there are all of these other dimensions at play. Srishti, what is, what is fandom to you? I think to me, fandom is um, more of like um, an expression, um, a feeling. It's like, like you said, it's a spectrum of a lot of different, a lot of different things that sort of, it's almost like an extension of who you are as a person and it connects to an idol or a figure or maybe a thing like a game, a book. Um, it's just essentially helping, not helping, but sort of, it is like finding solace in something else that makes you feel really true. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 there you have it, every, everyone who is who's listening. I mean, you know, to our question, what is fandom? It's it's clearly not an easy thing to to define. And part of it is because there are all of these complex layers uh on top of each other, which kind of brings me to, you know, how do we decode this all and how how Really, as an analyst, my question is how we are going to start measuring this effectively. Because at the moment, you know, currently companies are kind of thinking they are measuring uh, fandom. And really, they're often measuring it by essentially looking at engagement over time. And that's a part of the story for sure. But but it doesn't tell you the whole picture, right? It doesn't tell you anything about fans who may be dormant for a number of years and haven't engaged because the proposition has changed and isn't quite right, but they may still be a segment that's willing to pay hundreds of dollars for expressing their fandom, even though the engagement with the current formats isn't there, right? So that's just the one example, but any thoughts, Mark, on how to how do we move to sort of actionably measuring this somehow? Yeah. I, I would say first, uh, there's another thing before you even think about how you measure it, and that is what are you measuring? And there are two different things to measure. One is the fan and the other is the fan base. And those two things can be decoupled. You know, you could have, for example, a band that's been going 10 years and is, uh, you know, sort of lots of years on the gigging circuit, never really quite breaking through, but really ardent um, fan base that stuck with them all those years. And then they get a hit and then they start breaking through to the mainstream. And then, you you know, you start getting to the fan base is 10 years old by that stage and is going through unprecedented growth and is going through to the mainstream. And maybe a lot of those people who were fans in those early years don't like the band being in the mainstream or they've just been, you know, sort of getting to the age where they're not as into music as much or their tastes have changed or whatever else. So you have a fan base which is old, but uh, the majority of the fans are actually new. You know, so the, the, there's also that, you know, that really important thing about not just measuring the effect of how many people are buying T-shirts, how many people are talking about it socially, and all these sort of the more, you know, the easier ways in which we can measure fandom. You also need to be looking about how it affects individuals, you know, how long they've been doing what they've been doing, you know, et cetera. And because it is an attitude, because it is about how people feel, it is not enough to simply measure fandom by people's activity. You know, you could have in the, the question you're asking in there, Carol, about the, you know, what have you got a dormant fan? Well, let's just say that, that you know, that again, that sort of, you know, that imaginary band being going 10 years, they break through um, and they're building this big lower fan base. Let's just say there was a bunch of fans there who were really loyal to them in the first couple of years and then sort of faded out and forgot all about them. And suddenly they're hearing them all over streaming services and seeing them, you know, sort of the music on ads and whatever else. I say, wow, yeah, I remember that band. And, you know, and bang, they're back into it. 
there would have been nothing in that intervening 10 years that would have said this is a fan, yet that always lay dormant there. So that's probably not doing the best of jobs of answering the question because it is just such a complex one. But probably if you're going to be measuring fandom, it's a case of measuring a huge range of things, including trying to capture sentiment and attitudes and asking people about how they feel about things as much as have they bought a T-shirt, they bought a special edition, etc., and putting it all together and designing a framework for measuring it and weighting those things because there is going to be no single way to do this. It's going to be really difficult, uh, sorry, really different for doing it for sports versus music versus games, and even within sports, very different from one sport to another, etc. And even if you establish kind of one methodology, obviously, yeah, where companies are looking at engagement metrics and, you know, that's just one part of the story. Then another part of the story, maybe you try to ask the consumers themselves via some sort of surveys or focus groups. But I feel the problem with something like trying to measure fandom is also that everybody's got a completely different scale of reporting, right? Like how much of a fan are you on a scale of one to five? Your four may be completely different to my four. And, you know, so... It's, it's, it's very hard to, I think, get something that's sort of measurable in a, in a sort of universally yeah. comparable way. And I think this is probably where, where we're going to need to get, get a bit more creative and essentially, to your point, start overlaying things like, okay, some engagement is a certain type of indicator of fandom, but then there are other, engage, uh, other, uh, other fandom indicators, right? Yeah. How else can well, we measure just... sentiment? Yeah, well, I was just thinking before we go into sentiment, I want to show one of the, to build on your point about how you measure and it looks different to other people. And I think the the real importance of just not measuring the the effects of fandom. Imagine a BTS fan. So BTS probably have, um, you know, one of the most ardent global scale fan bases that exist in in, in any content genre at the moment. Um, And they release huge amounts of product. That means the fans can spend an absolute fortune showing that they're a fan of BTS. So great. If somebody buys all the editions of the new album and the T-shirts and the passes for the latest virtual performance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they're the super fan, right? But what if a fan is from a low-income family and can't afford to buy anything? Does that make them less of a fan because they haven't gone and bought all of those fan products? You know, so that's just, you know, it's, I think it's just a really important part of measuring fandom. Fandom is not simply a measure of how much merch you have sold. How much merch you have sold is an output of how big the fandom is. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really really important point. Uh, Srishti, did you want to join in? While we were me- while we were speaking about measuring it, and you know, speaking about different scales, there's there's also just different ways in which someone, like even if two people are on the same scale for example someone might want to express or show their fandom whereas someone else might not like I'm a huge fan of reggaeton but I don't really want anyone to know that so when I'm streaming it on Spotify which I'm probably streaming as much as a fan I'm going to cover it so it's also like it's also really different between how you express your fan personally versus how you express it as a group so there's I mean coming back to the point about looking at the fan versus looking at the fan base they could be completely different um, when you're looking at individuals and when you're looking at the whole community 
So that's really interesting, Sristi, because, yeah, you kind of actually, to the to the point of the discussion, there are different types of fans. You've kind of identified a new type of fan here, right? Because we were talking about the actively engaged ones, then we were talking about the dormant ones. But then there are, what do we call them? Guilty pleasure fans kind of thing? Secret uh, fans. They, uh, super fan, well, secret fans, right. That might be the, the better way to, to put it. <laughs> People who are essentially very engaged and very, very much wanting to be connected, but actually don't want that engagement or that fandom rather to essentially be a part of their external persona that they're communicating out there right so so again i mean we are you know 12 minutes in and or so and we've we've identified you know three completely different types of fandom and fans and arguably all three need to be treated completely differently when it comes to business strategy and sort of building loyalty and positive sentiment etc because each each of these different types will have something different that will make them click right so so how do we move forward with this essentially how do we move on to sort of tackle all this well i think the maybe the the starting point for that is working out why why is fandom important um because you know the way you go with it is yeah, if we've worked out how to define it, how to measure it, um, then it ultimately becomes what do you do with it? You know, it might sound like a self-evident sort of, you know, sort of question, right? Sort of what do you want to do with fandom? Well, you want to nurture it, you want to build it. Yeah, but people want to do that for different reasons. So you you can make, and I'm not going to um, try to start a, a global scale war with uh, with BTS fans here, in case any of you are listening, <laughs> but you, you, there's a fairly strong case to be made that, BTS fandom is, if we were going to put it on a scale, you know, relatively manufactured. You know, it has been, there's a lot of science behind it um, in terms of understanding how to resonate with, you know, with with uh, young fans, understanding how to put together the band that looks and right and performs right, um, the, you know, the, the, the image and the, the connection, uh, all those things are managed in a very particular way. It's like, you know, and maybe manufactured is too, too, too strong a word. So maybe it's more like if we're thinking it's in agriculture, it's more like a genetically modified crop. And, you know, the you know, K-pop bands tend to come from agencies who have a system for creating lots of other uh, K-pop uh, acts. And so it is, you know, and, and of course, you know, manufactured pop exists all across the world. But what K-pop has been particularly good at is understanding how to build the product of the fan, you know, and, and you know, and build the artists in, in, intertwined with that. So that is one way of saying, OK, you've got fandom, you're, you're using it in a very particular way um, with you know, a very particular output. Whereas other types of fandom, um, you know, might be, you know, sort of slightly less overtly commercial. So think about how Disney uh, takes the Star Wars franchise or the Marvel franchise. And yes, they're incredibly commercial about what they do. They've got very high output of, uh, you know, of, of, of spin-offs from all of those different brands and sub-brands. But what they do is that they understand there is a life cycle of a fan and that they want their fandom to be multi-generational. They want there to be multiple touch points. So within Star Wars, there will be cartoons for, you know, sort of, uh, you know, five or six-year-olds, cartoons for teenagers. You know, there's the TV uh, shows, there's, you know, then the, the spin-off movies. 
you know, all of these things without even thinking about all the toys and merch and all the, you know, the, and, and then, you know, the, the console games, et cetera, they're essentially giving loads of different entry points. So what they're saying there is for, for them, it's important to create a multi-generational, multi-dimensional fan base, which ensures that the brand can exist outside of formats, exist uh, across geographies, across generations over a long period of time so that you can do a lot of things over a long period of you know, t- time with it. I won't go on to loads of other examples, but they are two sort of, they're not extremes. They, you know, they're, they're both very much at the commercial end of, of building a fan base, but they've got different objectives. One is let's get what we can out of this in what is probably a relatively short period of time and it's all focused around one specific thing. And the other is how can we build a broader sense of a fan base that can exist outside of individual formats that we can go and take it in lots of different directions. So I suppose the simple answer is understand and define what your fan objectives are once you've defined what a fan is and once you've defined how you're going to measure it. Absolutely. Srishti, did you have anything else to add here? I kind of want to talk about sports for a moment there. Um, so in sports, it's really different because you have the sporting event, which you're either, I mean, in the pandemic, you're not going and watching it in a stadium, but you're watching it live. So I think what the sports industry has started to do is they've started to build personas within the sporting industry and then they've started you know you look at basketball they're creating their own content um like film they're creating movies they're creating documentaries there are lots of hollywood movies that are coming out around different kinds of movies um so in to the extent that even the sporting industry which is completely different and also has high fandom they're also sort of bringing in what i call a multiverse it's like you know you're you're watching the sport and then you're going on social media and you're seeing what these people are doing and then you're seeing what the team is posting and then there's movies and there's TV shows. So I think just creating a universe around people, um, it's also really un- important to understand the behaviors of a fan, like what do they like to do? So um, like a Formula One fan would listen to more, say, electronic music or a um, wrestling fan would listen to more rock music and just sort of creating multi-platform, multi-faced, multi-entertainment, um, um, just universes around it. So that, I mean, as a fan, I feel like you want to be immersed in this world that sort of is driven by your fandom. So everywhere you look, you see you can exist as a fan or exist with your fandom. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, how, just to sort of bring this to, to a bit of a conclusion, I mean, how how well do you, do you both think at the moment companies actually know their fans? And how, how much do they actually know about the true fandom of their users? And where can, where can they take it? We've talked a lot about the commercial end of, um, of fandom so far. Um, and I would say, in some ways, um, the more organic end of things uh, is maybe where people do know their fans best. You know, so if you are a small artist um, who is putting stuff out on Bandcamp, maybe building up a bit of a following on Twitch, um, you've got some stuff that you've um, distributed via a platform onto Spotify, etc. And you're looking at your Spotify for artist metrics, and you know you're essentially spending a lot of time looking at your metrics, a lot of time understanding, you know, sort of 
because you've got a relatively small audience paying a lot of attention to to how it behaves and engaging with that audience, you know, on, on Twitch, having, you know, conversations, building your fan base, maybe you set up a Discord server where, you know, you get people in there and you're talking with them. And, and it's, you know, it's very intimate. And in that way, you know, we hear a lot of talk, particularly from bigger brands about, you know, having an authentic relationship with the fan base. Well, what is an authentic relationship? You know, is it an authentic relationship one to five million, you know, or is it an authentic relationship one to ten, one to a hundred, you know, it's a, or, you know, one to one. So, you know, the, that's why I think small, you know, artists, game streamers, whatever they might be, the ones who are have that direct connection with their audience because they're delivering content to them all the time, they're paying attention to the likes, the comments, the shares, Etc. Um, maybe they have a better, best understanding of you know who their fan base is and what they can do to grow that fan base. So of course, there's an inherent tension there, right? Which is when you get to a certain size, do you stop um, truly knowing your fan base? And I would argue that it's probably less about how big your fan base gets and more of a case of how many people do you put between you and your fan base. If you're a small independent artist. Um, with, uh, you know, a few thousand fans and you start getting big and you get a record label who suddenly has a marketing team and a social media manager and, you know, all of those sort of things, then suddenly there's distance between you and your fan base. If you're a game streamer and you go from 50,000 to 5 million on YouTube, the odds are you're still doing the same thing. You know, you're still delivering content daily. You're still chatting to your fans on you know, on, on YouTube and other, you know, and paying attention to the comments and whatever else. So you look at PewDiePie, you know, who, for, for all of his faults, has done an incredibly good job over the years of staying close to his fan base, you know. And, and, and so I think that that maybe is the defining thing. You know your fan base best when you're closest to it. And the way you remain closest to it is not necessarily defined by size, but how many people there are between you and your fans. Yeah, I think that's a really important point as well. I actually can think of a game's example uh, with the game Valheim. That's uh, obviously a lot of the talk of, uh, uh, around town these days. But one of the things that I've read in an interview with, I think it was the CEO, that they've essentially been involved in dialogue with the communities pretty much from day one of the development of the game, which I found really, really interesting because companies typically yeah, want to you know, sort of engage and have that sort of authentic, quote-unquote, relationship with their audiences. But really, how do you do that if you don't give them the voice during the creation process itself, right? And I guess that's, to me, that was quite, a, quite an inspiring thing that obviously... You know, you have less pressure, I guess, as a as a smaller uh, developer uh, rather than you know massive games company who uh, anything that you put out is you know scrutinized to a huge amount of pressure, etc. But I just thought there was there was something to it to just communicate with people as you are building the product because it 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 creates this kind of additional vested interest in the in the whole thing, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think the cool thing is that when you're actually taking out the time to um, directly um, 
communicate or interact with your fans, you're understanding them much better. But what's also happening is the fan is feeling more engaged with you because you're doing that. So in a pro- in the process, you're understanding the fan. The fan is getting to experience interacting with you and that's constantly growing the fandom. So I guess I, I wonder whether we can leave this on, 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 on something like... Uh you know, the really the first, first step to truly uh, identifying, measuring, and, you know, ultimately, hopefully monetizing fandom one day is really to just start with listening, a very thorough listening process, right? And a, consum- and a, and a sort of dialogue as well, rather than a one-way process, right? Yep. Yeah, and I think listening, but listening, not hearing, right? Because I think there's there's a lot of platforms out there that are technically you know they're called listening platforms they pay a lot of attention to social sentiment etc and it's one thing to hear what people are saying it's another to really listen to it that's why I think your idea of you know bringing people into the into the creative process is a great way not only to make the fan base feel invested and vested um, but also to ensure that the habit of listening to the audience, the habit of listening to the fan base just becomes part of the DNA, whatever it is. I mean, you can look at it from, you know, there's been a lot of in the UK, there've been a lot of um, sort of community led um, football teams have sort of emerged over the last decade or so, you know, some of them from disgruntled fans of bigger clubs, some of them set up by YouTubers, you know, but a whole, but what has been crucial is that they've been built around communities, you know, and that everything has been around the, you know, the community from the start. You can look at it, whether it's a, uh, you know, there's been a good number of startups over the last sort of half a decade or so that have used um, crowdfunding in order to, um, you know, to 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 uh, to to raise money, and the ones which have been more successful are those who genuinely seen those crowdfunded people as being part of that. You know, the essence of who they are, um, right through to uh, you know, to what we're seeing as an emerging uh, trend now, which is in music, more artists beginning to look at ways to bring their fan base into the creative process as well. So, maybe the way I'd sort of see this is, you know, we started off today talking about how actually it's really quite difficult to define what a fan is it's pretty difficult to define how you measure the fan base etc you know so all of those things uh, we, we're essentially saying this is you know fairly early days it's fairly you know difficult to do all of this stuff but we're also saying as well that a lot of the ways that fans um engage and manifest the fandom and etc that's changing as well so maybe the the one constant here is that there is no constant that uh, fandom is going through it's a becoming more important than ever but b going through sort of transformation perhaps like it's never seen before yeah absolutely and well i mean I think this is a this is a good way to park it to leave something uh, for the next podcast <laughs> episodes that are coming up. So I'd love to just thank uh, everyone for listening and thank you, uh, Srishti, and thank you, Mark, for uh, joining us today. And for everybody else, I'd just like you to encourage to stay tuned for our next episode, uh, which should be out next week on all of your favorite podcasting platforms and that will be uh episode four rethinking consumption context with keith chris and hannah thank you everybody and have a wonderful day thank you thank you 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favourite podcast platform. 